All right. So we've been on a journey with James. We've been on a journey with James and we've gotten to chapter three. And today's topic is one that I found personally very challenging. Um, anyone that knows me knows that I am a talker, in fact. Um, and so when I read a passage, when I read a chapter that is pretty much devoted in most, most of its verses to the taming of the tongue, that is a personal challenge for me, and I'm sure it will be for you as well. Um, such an important application. Just a reminder of the bigger theme of James is having integrity in what we believe and what we do as a result of those beliefs, religious integrity. And so in this chapter, uh, we'll talk about one of the aspects of having that integrity as a Christian in what we say. Because that leads us to a good reading about the reflection of our heart. So let's get started. James begins with a warning. He says in verse 3-1, Do not become teachers in large numbers, my brothers, since you know that we who are teachers will incur a stricter judgment automatically the preacher or the teacher who teaches on this is automatically subject to a stricter judgment. There's sort of this recursive thing here. Um, so not many should aspire to become teachers haphazardly. We've seen a world of error caused by men and by women who would choose to be teachers of God's word haphazardly or because they're the prettiest one or the best looking one, um, the one that has the most extroverted personality. None of those traits are qualifications in scripture of who is to be a teacher. And we'll look at some of those qualifications. He warns that teachers will be held to a stricter judgment. Might be a funny way to start off a chapter that is about the tongue. But how are those things connected, right? One of the New Testament's biggest condemnations and warnings is against those of false teachers who would lead people astray. Because what is said at the front of an assembly, what is said in the front of a church matters. It matters. If we're supposed to be talking about God's word, there's a certain, there's a certain reverence and a certain careful handling of what we have in front of us. God knows that I have made mistakes. Many other teachers have as well. And we're going to be held accountable for those mistakes. 
So what are the requirements of a teacher? Since there's a warning here, turn with me, if you will, um, if you have your Bibles today, which I would encourage you to do attending a church service, is to have your Bible in front of you. Um, because of what we just talked about, right? First Timothy 5, 17 through 22 is one passage that lays out some requirements for people who are going to be preaching and teaching, primarily elders. The elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not accept an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too quickly and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. Paul's instructions to Timothy, first of all, say, hold those, hold those in uh, preaching and teaching in high esteem because they're putting in the work in for the congregation. Um, and don't even entertain an accusation against an elder unless you have two or three witnesses. There's a certain protection of the elders that Paul calls for, as well as an exhortation not to lay hands on anyone too quickly um, in an elder's position. If you have been a Christian long enough, you have probably been part of a service in which the man that was teaching had no business being up there. <laughs> It's very difficult to be in that situation, and we can only pray that the Lord uh, will keep us from such error. Um, in this church, we are very careful about who um, we would put in front of the congregation as a teacher, and that that's the adults, that's the kids, that's really any, really any position of teaching. Titus 1, 5 through 9, is another uh, place. So if you want to turn there, Titus 1, 5 through 9, again, instructions from Paul, this time to Titus. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of indecent behavior or rebellion. For the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, self-controlled, 
righteous, holy, disciplined, holding firmly the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to to both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. So why is James saying not many of you should become teachers? Isn't that something that it seems like we should have as an aspiration to become a teacher? Because he knows the requirements, right? If any of us who do teach and preach were examined, honestly, for me, this is a list that that is is really kind of challenging, right? Am I always self-controlled? Perhaps not. Um, do I ever have moments of quick tempered? Perhaps. So overall, these are very stringent requirements on who should be teaching and preaching. And Danny and, and Jesse and, and others could tell you, I had, I had a reluctance to, to preach at this church. Um, because I know about the requirements, right? So my approach to preaching is, y'all pray for me. (laughs) Y'all pray for me. The only reason that I'm standing up here is I believe that's what God wants me to do. Um, And do I fail? Yes, but this church has been very gracious. God has been very gracious to me in allowing me to continue. To be a teacher and preacher. Thank you. Paul continues in Titus 1. For there are many rebellious people. Empty talkers. Now here's the contrast right. For there are many rebellious people. Empty talkers and deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision. Who must be silenced. Because they are upsetting whole families. Teaching things they should not teach. For the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprimand them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, Nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So in Titus, two different contrasting uh, passages about elders and those that would be teachers that are false, right? And the damage done when someone who is a false teacher and teaches what Paul warns about here, uh, that they are commandments of men, right? Commandments of men, myths, preaching and teaching those things. So be guarded about those men. So Inside of this bigger sermon overall on the tongue, James starts out with the teachers. 
And he says, especially those that are teaching, right, ought to have control of their tongue. They ought to have control of their conscience. They ought to have um, self-control. And all of that, all of those are fruits of the spirit. Uh, No one can have those apart from God. Uh, He is the one who is sovereign over those things. So after the warning about teachers, James then starts to bring it a little bit more home towards the laity and those uh, of us that are are just uh, lay uh, Christians. James 3.2, he says next, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to reign in the whole body as well. Now, perfect might be a little bit of the wrong English word for what this means, okay? If you remember, you have to remember back several, several months, but when we first started, James... We talked about the passage that said um, that let endurance have its perfect result, James 1, 4, perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, completion. Not perfection as you have no blemishes, but to be complete, lacking in nothing. To be complete, lacking in nothing is the view of wholeness. And you remember James 1, we talked about that wholeness or completion in Christ. When we are fully satisfied in Christ, he is glorified in us. Because when we're whole in Christ, we don't seek other means of fulfillment. When we know that we have everything that we need, everything that we need, then we don't seek out those things that are extra that we don't need, that we seek to make idols that would fulfill us. Christ is all we need. We just, I did not plan this. We just sang, all I have is Christ. And now we talk about being whole in Christ. James 1, 14 through 15 also says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So where do all these temptations and desires away from realizing the wholeness that is found in Christ? It all starts right here inside of our heart we're we're carrying out what's in we carry outward matthew 15 19 says for out of the heart come evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts false witness and slanders now two of those are sins of the tongue right Two of those are sins of the tongue, false witness and slanders. That comes out of a heart that's not turned towards God. James 3, 3 through 5, first part of verse 5. 
Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their whole body as well. Looking at the ships too, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are nevertheless directed by a very small rudder wherever of the inclination of the pilot determines. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet boasts of great things. Got this itty bitty tongue that's setting the whole scenario up. You've heard that saying, writing checks with your mouth that you can't cash. Yeah, that type of thing. James 1, 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. Again, the purity of religion is James' main point of the whole letter. And this is in verse, or excuse me, in chapter one, James throws out all of the major themes that he's going to be talking about in the rest of the chapters. So we go back to chapter one and see, okay, here's where he identified this major theme that he was going to be talking about with the tongue. If you remember, we talked about a horse's bridle. A horse's bridle out of James 1.26 goes around the front of the horse's mouth and whenever you need to say, whoa, Michaela, what do you do? You pull back on the reins and you make the horse stop. Or sometimes you use the reins to make the horse turn. <clears throat> now, James specifically in this chapter talks about the bit in the horse's mouth. So I had to change my picture. <laughs> this one doesn't have that one didn't have a bit but this one does so the bit further drives that point home to the horse right you're going to move when I say to move and it actually has a little bit inside of its mouth so out of this headgear for the horse the reins are used to control it Notice that there's a rider controlling the reins, right? The horse doesn't decide on its own. Maybe after being tamed and put in the arena 4,000 times, it kind of knows the drill, but there's, they're still animals. They still have a mind of their own. Um, Michaela's been thrown twice, um, on different occasions. So they have a, a, a mind of their own. When they get spooked, they say, mm -mm, nope, I don't want to do this anymore. And they do whatever they want. So you have to have these reins. Anytime you, need, you can pull back and stop that horse. Same way, self-control over our tongue. Can you stop that horse in the middle of the sentence? And say, wait a second, this isn't, this isn't going the right way. Controlling our speech is a big part of what the New Testament even talks about several times, talking about the way that we talk to other people. In Mark 12, 
33 through 37. And by the way, I'm trying to develop this convention for myself that when I give a cross-reference, it's blue or a different color. When I'm talking about the main part of what we're teaching, it's going to be black. I'm trying to develop that. If, you, if you've caught on that, then that's where I'm trying to go here. So blue cross-reference, okay? Mark 12, 33 through 37 says, either assume the tree to be good as well as its fruit good, or assume the tree to be bad as well as its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You offspring of vipers, how can you, being evil, express any good things? For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. The good person brings out of his good treasure good things, and the evil person brings out of his evil treasure evil things. But I tell you that for every careless word that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Pretty important warning, right? How, how do people come to know the Lord in the first place? By preaching, by the word of God. Sounds like words are pretty important to the overall picture. So James repeats his patterns of closely modeling Jesus teachings, right? Really, really important. If you don't pay attention to another cross-reference while I'm speaking today, please pay attention to this one. For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. Where does impure speech start? Where does blasphemy start? Where does insults, gossip, and things that tear other people down start. It starts from those things which fill the heart. Whatever you carry in your mind and your soul pours out of your mouth. So questions for introspection here. Are you constantly negative about your life? Your lack of contentedness? Being unthankful? Always finding fault with other people? but not finding fault with yourself, always criticizing, you know, that could have been better if, how have you communicated about your day-to-day -day life this week even? What things have you said around other people? What things have you said at school, at home, at work, online? How have you communicated? Are, are you being edifying to other people? Are you praising the Lord with the tongue that he gave you? Or are you committing these sins that James is, war is uh, warning about? The other illustration was that of a rudder. Very cartoony example. Hey, it works, right? You get the point. This huge ship and this little bitty triangle at the back that controls the way that the ship is going to turn, right? <clears throat> These have been used for, since ancient times, rudders have been used. Used to be an oar, right? You create drag on one side of the boat. The drag actually pulls you in the opposite direction, right? 
So the rudder changes and you turn. And then later on, they got the nice big wheels where they could steer the ship. Like Pirates of the Caribbean, those big wooden ships, right? Like trying to, to change that rudder with the big wheel. Um, and so this little bitty piece of metal or wood or whatever material the ship is built out of, it controls the direction of that whole ship. Have you ever said something that costs you? Have you ever said something that costs you socially? Perhaps you were even talking about the Lord and it had social costs. Perhaps you said something completely stupid that you shouldn't have said. Been there, done that. Uh, one of my favorite quotes about that is, is kind of tongue in cheek. It's, it's funny, though. There was a, a governor of Texas, Ann Richardson, and she was talking about George W. Bush. And she said, poor George, he was born with a silver foot in his mouth. <laughs> uh, and I'm not bashing Republicans. OK, I just thought it was a funny quote. Um, but very true. Some of us have a reputation for not engaging the gray matter before the tongue moves, right? Because of this effect. Now, notice in both cases, both the horse and the ship have something in common. The horse and its bit and the ship and its rudder are both controlled by a pilot or a rider. Right. There's some something in control of those two things. James now goes to another analogy about the tongue. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our body's parts as that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Have you ever walked up to a group of people in public and the first thing that you notice is all the foul language that they're saying? And that automatically says what to you? This is probably not a group of people I need to be hanging out with, right? It's so indicative of what's going on inside when you hear somebody talking in a, a foul way, either foul language or some sort of, of, of talk of, of things that, of, that are dirty or, or something like that, you automatically have this indication of what's going on in that person's life. Christians, this should not be us. Someone should not hear this coming out of your mouth and identify automatically what's up with that guy, what's up with that girl that they would speak in this way. Now it's become more common and more acceptable to have bad language socially. It's still not okay with God, okay? It is not. It is not okay to have this type of language in front of other people because as a Christian, you are representative He's called you to do good works. Every part of your body 
if you are a Christian, is sanctioned by God to do good works. Every part, even your big toe, is sanctioned by the Lord to do the things that he planned with you, planned for you from eternity past. So the tongue is no different. This calls the, the tongue kind of the responsible party for causing a forest fire, right? Smokey the, band, Smokey the bear would not be uh, happy with this. Um, but it's true, just a little spark. If somebody doesn't put it out, especially on those seasons, you know, I see Diane in the back row. She goes hiking a lot. And when, when the woods have a very dry spell, they won't allow you to start fires. Why? Because one little spark could set acres and acres on fire. It's happened multiple times. That's what this tongue is. An unsaved tongue is one that could set this whole chain reaction off that creates the forest fire here. And what is a flame, a picture of, it's a picture of judgment. Whenever we see a flame, there are sparing occasions where this is not the case, okay? But when we see flame in general in the New Testament, it's talking about judgment. Um, judgment and hell. So the tongue being set on fire is a picture of condemnation. When we look at two separate places, when we look at Genesis and we look at Acts, in Genesis 1.12, one of the first things that happened after the fall was a sin of the tongue. And then when we look on a separate occasion, the tongue is used to declare the mighty works of God. So you can see both. This small little thing can be used to do both of those things, either good or bad. Genesis 3, 11 through 12 says the following. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Talking to Adam. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate. What's wrong with this picture, Adam? Number one, who's he blaming? For the catastrophe that just happened, at least two different parties he's blaming besides himself. He's blaming God. He's saying, that woman who you gave me, because I was so lonely and I, and I needed to help meet that woman that you gave to me. She's the one that did this. So he's blaming both God and Eve. So one of the first sins after the fall was this sin of speech was this pattern of uh, blaming God, blaming others. And in contrast, one of the ways in which tongues were used to declare them, the almighty power of God is in Pentecost. Acts 2, 1 through 11 is where that happens. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves, 
and a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the, as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now there were Jews residing in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished saying, why are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty deeds of God. So what did the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit made people of all different languages be able to hear about his mighty works by miraculously giving them the ability to speak and these languages be heard. Um, what an amazing, miraculous thing that happened. But look at the contrast with men sinful after the fall, blaming God and blaming others for their sin. With the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost declaring the mighty works of God. The big contrasts between what a man does and what a uh, what God does with the tongue. One of the commentaries that I'm using to prepare the messages in James is from J. Alec Motyer. Uh, really have enjoyed reading his commentary. Uh, regarded as a as a scholar of of the Bible. This is out of his book, The Message of James. If we must say that the outworking of sin first appeared in the abuse of speech, the renewal of power of speech, a tongue intelligibly declaring the wonderful works of God. So the renewal of the power of speech comes with the Holy Spirit. What a clear picture for us, right? So when we are renewed, when we are renewed, what happens? Our speech is renewed. The way that we talk is renewed. The way that we act towards other people is renewed. The way that our hearts have conceptually created these things that we should do are renewed. So lastly, James 3, 7 through 12 says, For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one among mankind can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. 
Does a spring send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or a vine bear figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So James now hearkens back to creation, right? Who has set this universal order up? Who has given us the ability to tame animals? Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Secondly, in Genesis 2, 19 through 20, it says the following. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So he gives the declaration that men are going to rule over all the animals and over all creation. And then he even sends them to Adam to name. The man gave names, verse 20, to all the livestock and to the birds of the sky and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So James echoes Genesis and creation. The fact that man has brought him into subjection a lot of the creation, right? We're able to, after several generations, we now have domesticated dogs, right? Dogs that are dependent on us for their survival. I doubt that my dog, which is a cross between a basset and a lab, you can kind of picture how that looks in your mind, basically a a lab that's been sawed off at the knees, okay? I doubt if Aladdin, as, as, as sweet and fun as he is, I doubt that he could survive too long without us providing his favorite snacks um, three times a day. Um, that's the level that we have have gotten over creation right the lord has given us dominion over that by contrast although we can tame all of this although we can tame dogs and cats and birds the tongue can't be tamed by us and is evil and full of poison it might sound like a contrast when we get to this point because james has just told us right, that we need to be self-controlled, that we need to control our tongues, and now he's saying they can't be controlled. So what's the missing, or who is the missing element to control our tongue? Our yielding to the Holy Spirit is 
where we would get our self-control, control of the tongue, control of what we think, control of what we feel even. Um, and that is right from the Holy Spirit. The final analogy is a fresh and salt water. Don't have to tell this group about how many times the Lord talks about water and thirsting no more and pure water, fresh water throughout the Bible, really, but especially in the New Testament. And salt water, by contrast, has anybody ever tried to drink salt water? You've probably at least been at the beach and got salt water in your mouth. Not great. Not yummy. Okay. Um, it's undrinkable. It would make you sick if you drank too much salt water. <laughs> um, so it's impure. So when, when we're together and when we're out in public, we can be so completely confusing with what we say. If we went out on Facebook right now, we could see this phenomenon of where some of our friends would share Bible verses on one post and then scroll, scroll, scroll. Three posts later, they're posting something that is completely ungodly. Please don't do that. Please do not do that. Don't let fresh and salt water come out of the same spring. That confuses everyone. That confuses our friends. That confuses the people that are around us. When they hear, wait a second, aren't you, aren't you a Christian? But you just said this gross thing, you know. So we can't have that contrast with us. We have to be consistent. And to do that, we have to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and ask him to help us. So questions for consideration today. Um, and then we will go into a time where we have the Lord's Supper here. But let's just think about these things. How have I used my tongue or my communication improperly? How have I done that? Either your physical tongue or your digital one. Okay, what does my language reflect? Does your language reflect a joyful, complete heart or a dissatisfied, willful heart that wants things that aren't of God? How have we used our tongue to edify others? Have we encouraged this week? Have we called someone up? Have we spoken to them in person? and edified them? Have we shared scripture with our family? Have we treated our brothers and sisters respectfully and built them up in the Lord? Kids, this is important. Have I praised God with my tongue? So our prayer should be that God would give us a heart that more closely is aligned with his that our desires, he will give us the desires of our heart, seek ye first, right? Because we align our heart to his. What are those things of God that he wants us to, to be aligned to? 
Pray that he would give you self-control over what you say and the reflection of what's inside of your heart and mind. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this reminder today and this challenge to us, Father, to use, Father, speech that would edify others, to praise your name. Lord, and we pray for our hearts. We pray that, Father, you would convict us where we have impure motives, where we have impure thoughts that are radiating from a heart, Lord, that isn't, doesn't claim completeness that you would give to us. Father, we pray that we would be complete, that we would be lacking nothing, Lord, because we have Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to reflect who you are and who you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.